You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Here we go again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Happy Friday. And this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Go visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com and enter the discount code Nine Fingers when you check out. You can save $20 on your purchase. So I don't have to tell you because based off the title of this podcast, we have my good friend Justin Czar back on the podcast. And I wrote down a little list and here are the things that we talk about in this podcast. Current events hunting fitness, long range shots during hunting, glamour shots, people who wear camouflage all day long, all the time, and a a host of other things without going into too much detail. But this podcast goes off on the deep end. It comes back, it goes off the deep end again, and then it comes back, and then we end pretty much off the deep end. So uh, it's, about, it's a straight up BS session. Uh, we talk about some cool things. Uh, we talk about some not so cool things, but uh, this is just a, a really fun podcast with Justin, and uh, we're going to be doing these uh, throughout the rest of the summer into the fall, and I think he's going to be a regular on, on, the, uh, on the show. Let's see. Today, this commercial is brought to you by Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Now, I know what you're thinking, man, I don't want to try a Lone Wolf, whatever. I think you should try a Lone Wolf because they are a made in America company. Um, They're a very durable tree stand and they're very functional. What I mean by that is if you're the kind of person who likes to move around a lot, if you're a mobile hunter and you know, some of the trees that you want to set up in aren't necessarily straight because a lot of the tree stands that are out there on the market, uh, you need a, a, a straight tree. And with Lone Wolf, you don't need a straight tree. Their sticks and their tree stand kind of combination allows you to 
basically be in the right place, not not the right tree or in the right tree. I mean, the right place, because if you have to have, you know, if you if you sacrifice even 10, 15 yards, that buck comes through and you may be 10, 15 yards away from where you need to be, therefore missing that opportunity. So if you're serious about being in the absolutely right location uh, when you need to be in the right location, you need to check out Lone Wolf tree stands. So you can Google Lone Wolf. You can go to LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. And uh, because you are a listener of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, by entering the discount code 9FC50, you can save $50 off of all orders over $200. So order one tree stand, save 50 bucks, And... That's a, a little present from me to you. I hope you guys take advantage of that. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Enough chit-chat. Let's get into today's BS Session podcast with Justin Czar. Mr. Justin Czar, you're back again. How you doing, man? I'm good. I feel like I was just here like the other day. I couldn't believe it was already time to, to do another one of these. I know. You were. You were. I, I was day. actually just here the other day. That's just uh, how the old schedule works out. You know, they say that, uh, what's that saying? Distance makes the heart grow fonder. So maybe, I think it's absence. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, absence. right? Okay, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Anyway, <laughs> I think what we'll do is we'll go in spurts. We should do that and then like have a... Uh, and then people will be missing me. They'll yeah. be yearning to yes. have me back on the show. Yes, yes. And then that's how I get the ratings, right? The biggest mm. shows are when you're on peak peak viewership right i got all when czar and johnson get together to bitch and moan about everything that we don't like <laughs> in the hunting industry <laughs> that's what people enjoy apparently just complete negativity the entire time <laughs> we hate everything and everyone listen to us hey i got family isn't, members isn't that kind of like what adam carolla does i mean he's pretty successful he just bitches and moans and whines and complains so Works for him. There's a lot of people who have made success in their life about bitching and complaining. Well, maybe we're on to something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I wonder if you, you know, that, that old saying, you can uh, collect more flies with, is it more flies with honey than with crap? Or is it more flies with crap than with honey? I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I've ever heard that one. You may just be making that up right now. I'm I'm probably making it up. But my <laughs> my uh my grandpa growing up would always say these like one line things like that. You know, like, well, you'll catch more flies with honey than with shit. Or yep, like, yep. <laughs> one that he would always say is Well, she's not gonna back her tractor up on that hitch and I don't know I still to this day <laughs> don't have a clue what that means. I don't either, but I mean, I could guess. Yeah, it may be and a sexual probably, innuendo. I think it might be, but we'll just leave that one to uh, <laughs> the, the interpretation of the viewers or listeners. Right, right. All right. So we have a couple things I think we're going to talk about in this podcast, but in regards to current events, right, there was a recent post by the Bone Collectors. I think we all know who, who they are. And they are introducing something called the Bone Collector North American Whitetail Championship. Have you seen this? 
I have seen it. I can't say I watched the entire video because it was pretty long and I kind of lost interest, but I watched enough to, I believe, get the gist okay. of what's going on. Right. Maybe you maybe you watched or researched more than me and you can explain it a little bit better. Right. Okay. So here's what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm on the Bone Collector uh, website right now and they have a, an entire page dedicated to this championship. So there are 14 regions. Uh, it's broke. This, this championship is broken down to 14 regions, basically from the Dakotas straight down to Texas and all the way to the East, Eastern part of the United States minus Florida. Uh, and then like Maine's not in there, Vermont, New Hampshire. And then I think there's another, another couple States that aren't in there, but it's broken down into 14 different regions. So like the Dakotas and Nebraska is one Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Texas is one Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. So like, anyway, it's broken down and I'm just going to read right off their website. The North American Whitetail Championship will begin in 2018 with archery qualifying regional uh, competitions. There will be 14 qualifying regions. The regionals will begin on September 15th, 2018 and end on January 15th, 2019. Each hunter will hunt their respective region under the guidelines of the laws of that state. The hunter is required to video his hunt and harvest with the video equipment provided by the championship and in accordance with the rules of the championship. The video has to be submitted to the championship committee within 24 hours of the harvest to qualify as an entry. The hunter who harvests the largest Pope and Young scored buck in his region will win the regional and qualify for the North American Whitetail Championship. Regional qualification is archery only. So then I think if you win that, there's the championship round, which is at an outfitter in Kansas, if I uh, if I'm if I'm correct in saying so. So just based off of that, there's a whole bunch of other stipulations like uh, um, I don't know, like must not be named Dan Johnson. Well, you can't be a (laughs) professional. You can't be a professional hunter. Right. And there's, I mean, there's, prizes. what does that mean? I mean, uh, you can't, are make, we professional hunters? I don't know, but it says you can't make a majority of your living off of killing deer. Majority. Well, that I am not a professional hunter. Right, I'm in. There you go. So, so, and then there's these, um, there's a entry fee. So if you want to be part of this, you have to pay $300 to register. Okay. Um, I saw that. Yep. And then what else is there here? Okay. So then there is a, there's the champ, there's the, the regional round, which gets 18 hunters advanced to the 2019 championship, which I think is at this, uh, outfitter first place gets $50,000. If you win this thing, I think second place is second place is $20,000, uh, and then it's kind of stair steps down to third place as well. But initially, what is your thought on this? Um, man, I like the concept. 
You do to a to a degree. Okay. You know I, what I feel like, and I feel like this has been tried to have been done over and over and over again. Right. Right. Is you know we try to make hunting fishing. Yeah. You know it, it is really because I mean the first video I saw with Michael Waddell talking. You know, said like, hey, if, you know, fishing is a huge sport and there's a ton of money to be won and people could do it professionally and yada, yada, yada. And we don't have that same opportunity in hunting. So we want to create this program. I mean, that was kind of my understanding yeah. of kind of the basis of it. And it's just like as much as we want to try to make hunting fishing, like they're two totally different things. Yeah. Um, you know, fishing. Uh, let's take fishing. Let's take a fishing uh, event, a professional fishing event, right? When everybody right. goes to a fishing event, you know, you're pitting yourself against other fishermen in the exact same environment that they are in, right? right? You're all right. on the same lake at the same time doing the same thing. Yeah, you may have different boats, but I mean, ultimately, like what it comes down to is your, I guess, prowess or skill as a fisherman is going to dictate whether you win that day. Whereas in hunting, like, the conditions just vary so dramatically from yeah. one person to the next, whether that be the amount of land they have access to, the amount of time they have to hunt, um, the type of property, where that property is located at. Do you got 100 acres of a of field with a little fence row or do you got a 500 acre chunk that's timber and fields and food plots and trail systems and the whole thing? Like it's just there's so, such a disparity in the hunting world. Uh, whereas you don't have that in these fishing competitions. Right. So to a certain degree, like the qualifiers seem like, I guess, semi biased. Yeah. Right. You know, in favor of the people that just have more opportunity, you know, not to say that some person that, that doesn't have a lot of opportunities to hunt and only hunts weekends and has a small piece of land can't go in because we all know that that's possible. Right. You know, it's certainly impossible that anybody's going to go out there and, and shoot a, the biggest animal in their region, but in all likelihood, it's not going to be one of those people. Most likely. Right. Uh, the other thing that concerns me a little bit is, you know, in, in a fishing tournament, there's uh, I don't even know what you call them, but referees or somebody there kind of yeah. like uh, checking things right in yeah. a hunting tournament in this sort, sort, sort of format, there's nobody there right. to verify what you did was legal you know, and let's face it, guys are going to cut corners. And when you're talking $50,000 prize, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a year's salary or more for a lot of people. Right. So, you know, yeah. Is there a very real possibility you could have people doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and lying about it? Yeah, I definitely think there is. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I appreciate the concept of it. I just don't know that no matter how hard we try to create something like this, that it's ever going to, to work the way we want it to. Right. Right. So I agree with you on the fishing tournament, right? There's a completely different, I think they've, they tried to cover that with breaking it down by region. Um, so, you know, like big buck states like Iowa and Illinois are kind of in the same region. And then you got some of the other Midwestern states kind of in the same region. Now, what, what I don't like about this or what concerns me is that this tournament is kind of in favor, favors the, the landowner who has access to ground and is only hunting antlers right um 
and so I don't I don't know if I can necessarily get on board with the whole antler thing because I think that the yes big big racks are cool I'll be the first to admit it and in a way I kind of sound like a hypocrite and I'm even a self admitted hypocrite when it comes to this but like the the whole notion that you're going to hunt for antlers uh, and nothing else is just kind of. I think it sets the entire hunting community back a little bit because if we want hunting to continue to be successful, I, I don't think the focus needs to be on antlers. It needs to be on something else. You're talking about just for the long term yeah, health of for, hunting. I mean, yeah, for the long term. And, and also on top of that, dude, you, you say you go out and kill the biggest buck uh, for – 50 I don't know for $50,000 this whole tournament could go sideways really fast let's say their guy goes out he kills a 200 inch buck okay uh he wins the tournament then come to find out uh there's been an investigation opened up and and he was baiting this deer in a state like Iowa where you can't bait deer. He kills a giant. It, it is now deemed illegal. This dude's a poacher, and he's also the champion of uh, this this thing. How does that look on the hunting industry or in the hunting community? Yeah, I mean, it never looks good, but, I mean, I guess we take that chance right now, not necessarily with somebody winning money, but anytime somebody shoots a big deer <clears throat> and it's on the cover of a magazine or it's on a website or wherever and it's floating around and that person's getting notoriety. Like, you know, it's never a good thing when it ends up that that animal was harvested illegally. So, I mean, that, that happens as it is. I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't know the whole thing. I just don't think it's going to work. Yeah. You know, that, that's my biggest thing. Like all the, all the whatever stuff aside, you know, I just think the logistics of something like this just, I don't know, has never really been, something that I think you could pull off. I think if, if hunting could be fishing in this manner of competition, I think it would have been a long time ago. It's been tried and tried and tried again. And it's just never really worked. Right. Um, we done the thing with fishing too, right. Is like when you think about going to a lake and 50 guys putting their boats in that lake, let's just assume there's one biggest fish in the lake. Everybody's got an equal shot to catch that fish the minute they put their boat in the water and they go out on that lake. Right. Right. It's not the same with hunting because we're all hunting different pieces of property with different quality animals on them, you know, and the size of the animal that you harvest, I don't think really has anything to do with how good of a hunter you are. You know, anybody can luck into a big deer once I'm still waiting for for mine, you know, but I mean, some of the most successful hunters out there, are just the ones that are the most consistent and it's not necessarily always the biggest rack, but maybe it's the oldest deer or it's killing deer on public land on a regular basis or whatever that is. Like to me, those guys are probably more successful and accomplished hunters than somebody that killed a 220 inch deer once in their life. And and that was it. Right. Right. So I don't know. Again, I appreciate the concept. I like, the idea of trying to get people excited about hunting and feeling like they're working towards some something. I just don't know that this is in the end really going to amount to a whole lot. Right. Right. I don't know. So, so I asked the question to the nine finger Chronicles, Facebook page. Uh, 
Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on this. Had the link, and like within minutes, uh, I had like several, several comments, right? Or lots of comments. <laughs> and I mean, you just imagine what the internet has to offer for comments, and they're on, they're on this, right? You, you got the gifts, you got the, the swear <laughs> words, you got like the emojis, um, and then. I mean, you got some people who are interested in it. Uh, it seems to be that the people who follow my page are kind of, they're not. Uh, they're they are more against it than they are for it, but there's a handful of people that are for it. Um, and, you know, sure. some people... Well, you got to look at the, your demographic yeah, too, right? I mean, right. it's probably guys kind of like us and... You know, we're we're not all that excited about it, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people out there that probably are. Right. You know, right. Well, I guess the only thing to say then is we'll see how this turns out. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested. I'll be interested to sit back and watch it. It's it's just I don't know. It's interesting to me when I look at it. It says like uh, I'm reading it right now. Hunter is required to video his hunt and harvest with the video equipment provided by the championship. Yeah. What does that mean? They're giving everybody cameras? Well, yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds to me like if you're chosen to be one of the that, representatives, you have to use, uh, sponsor alert, a Tacticam. Oh. Right? Well, I mean, I, the money's got to come from somewhere, right? Right. I mean, uh, fishing's the same way. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you, you, we, we bitch about you know sponsors in the hunting industry. I mean, look at fishing. If we want hunting to be fishing... It's going to turn into all of us wearing jerseys with 50 <laughs> logos on it. You know, oh, I mean, the money's got to come. 50 grand is a lot of money. It's got to come from somewhere. Right. So I get it. Yeah. If you want to win, you got to be using, you know, th their product. Okay. Fair enough. You play by their rules. That makes sense to me. You know, I just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to sit back and see how much interest this thing gets. Yeah. I just, I, I just feel like we keep different people at different times. And I think for probably good reasons, right? There's a good reason behind this that they're trying to promote hunting and get people excited. I mean, also somebody somewhere somehow is trying to make money too. I mean, that's do you think just that the way is the, the underlying works. this championship? That's the is underlying to to everything in life. No, I know, but I'm, no before <laughs> before that that it is this is in some way to promote hunting. Do I think it's like promote yeah, hunting I think to? So. I mean, you don't need to promote hunting to hunters. I'm talking about yeah, I'll, yeah. To promote hunting, you mean to non-hunters, right? Uh, no, but I mean, is a lot of what we do geared towards promoting hunting to non-hunters? I mean, no. not really. I mean, so I, I don't necessarily care about that. I mean, I think Michael Waddell and his crew over there. The few times that I've met them are are pretty legit guys. They've always seemed like pretty down to earth. Yep. really nice they've been nothing but nice to me the few times that i've met them you know so and everything i've heard you know that they're invested in wanting to make hunting better for the future so and i don't know i'd have to go watch his video and see maybe what their their message is that they're trying to convey yeah i mean i don't know i, I mean i guess how does bass masters help you know fishing if we want to make that comparison too yeah I mean, well, does it get more people? Turned... It, does it get more people into it? Yeah, because they think that they can potentially win money. Like, is I mean, maybe that's the thinking behind it. Maybe people are going to be interested in hunting if they think that they can win money off of it. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. 
All I know is that at the end of the day, they throw the fish back into the river or the, you know, the pond. Sure. Uh, that's what a, a couple people are like, you know, they mentioned that. But for anybody who's listening right now, go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and uh, find the post where I ask, you know, for opinions and thoughts. And I'd love to hear your opinions or thoughts on this whole thing and uh, just read through them. There's quite a few comments already, but uh, there's a good there's a good one. I'm reading them right now. Cameron Stover says it appears that they're taking away from the competition of man versus beast and turning hunting into a man versus man penis measuring competition. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, but we've already done that. I mean, yeah. we're, we're fooling ourselves if we think we're not already all doing that in right. some form or fashion. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but if it was a penis measuring competition, I would lose. <laughs> so, I'm out. I'm, de- I'm, I'm DQ'd. <laughs> that's one of those, that's one of those contests you just don't even enter. Yeah, exactly. You just don't even enter it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to sit back and watch this thing. We'll see how it does. I'll be interested to, if nothing else, maybe watch some of the hunts that people film. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, genuine blue collar dudes out there that are going to be out, you know, filming their hunts and trying to be a part of this. And I still do enjoy watching kind of the average guy go out and, and hunt and film his hunts a lot more than I enjoy watching some of the quote unquote celebrities out there so if nothing else there'll probably be some decent video footage to come out of this thing that i think i'll enjoy sifting through at some point well i for one will not be watching it because i got rid of all my hunting channels uh and yeah but i'm dude it'll be all online oh yeah probably they better post it all online hunting channels who watches those anymore right right all my stuff i don't even i don't watch carbon tv dude i just love i just love going to youtube and finding the average guy who like goes out and doesn't he doesn't even talk he's just like filming the weeds he films his truck he films himself get out he films himself up in the tree stand <laughs> here comes the deer he shoots it and then he walks up to it and he's just like um uh, i sh- i saw this guy like last year and then um i moved my tree stand in here and then i shot him um and, and then he's just moving the antlers around. It's a giant, right? He does right. If he does it on public land, it's somehow better. You know what I mean? And yep. uh, I don't know. That's that's the kind of content I watch. And then skateboard, uh, YouTube skateboard tricks. Like fail videos or actual like tricks? Dude, let me, tricks. let me tell you something. When I was young, I had a, a skate, a flying Brian skateboard, right? And back in the day, in the late 80s, there was this movie called, or it could have been early 90s, called Gleaming the Cube. With Christian Slater. Yeah, One of my favorites. Yep. And I used to think I was going to be a pro skateboarder. So I would just skate up and down the street all the time. Then one day, I was trying to do a trick. I flip into the, uh, I didn't flip. I mean, I, I, the board went out from under me rolled into the street got run over by a car and i never picked up the a sk- uh, different skateboard again so uh and that's when you lost your finger skater no <laughs> skater was die dude <laughs> skater die believe right. the cube was a great movie by it the was. way everybody should go watch it or the movie rad have you ever seen the movie rad i have yes oh, dude, that is probably one of my top five favorite movies of all time Really? Yes. It's got a very slightly higher rating on IMDb than Gleam, Gleaming the Cube. Rad does? 
Rad does, and yeah. I'm almost so positive. if you had to pick one going on IMDb, you would go with Rad. Yeah, Rad also is only on VHS, so I doubt if it's on DVD, it's some because someone ripped it. Yeah, but it's got to be on the internet somewhere. Right. Somewhere somebody can find this. Or we can just watch like a couple of the trailers and outtakes like on YouTube that somebody put up there oh, and you'll the, get the gist of it. The whole movie's on YouTube. The whole thing? The whole movie's on YouTube. Wonderful. It's just Isn't broken technology down. great? Yeah, it's just broken down into like 17 parts. Uh, you just got to create your own playlist and <laughs> right. put them all in the right order. Right, right. <laughs> so now what? What are we what are we going to talk about now? You had before we got before we get into like filming the hunts, was there something else yeah. that you wanted to talk about? Uh yeah, sure. We just did an, an article on bowhunting.com yes. the other day about uh does uh, working out make you a better bow hunter? Yes. And I was having this discussion with a couple of my my buddies the other night because there's so many different ways I guess to look at it. Yeah. So we'll start we'll start kind of at the top, right? You know, it seems like over the last couple of years, like there's been this craze that's sweeping over the the, the hunting world. Like we go in waves right. of things, and right now, like the wave is physical fitness, like within hunting uh, workouts, especially geared towards hunters. Um, you know, supplement companies that are marketing towards hunters and the hunting community. And there's this kind of like mantra of like being a super badass mountain climbing elk rack on your back, you know, dude kind of right now. So, you know, we, we did an article about, you know, does, does all of that make you a better bow hunter? Um, so obviously, you know what, why don't I get your take on it first? What do you think, Mr. Johnson? I see you out there with your freaking weighted backpack on hiking around <laughs> trying to be the next Cam Haynes. So yeah. what do you think? That's the only type of thing, uh, like that weighted backpack. Have, have I, I've done maybe just a couple gym selfies, but they're more along the lines of this is what I'm doing. Like there, I am never in the picture. I'm it's like, it's a picture, but I'm never in it. Right. So I always wonder how people get to some of these gym pictures that are clearly taken by other people. Oh, absolutely. It's like not even a selfie. I don't know how I would feel like handing my phone to someone and be like, Hey bro, you mind taking a photo of me? Yeah, uh, let me, let me, uh, flex. Can you see my tricep? Good. Should we get some better lighting on that? Yeah. Hey man, I'm getting ready to blast these quads out. Uh, can you get real close to them? I gotta see the veins, man. Yeah, got, oh, you have to see the veins. You got to see the veins, dude. It's the only way you know that you're really hammering. <laughs> so, so which you know what, all, all making fun of aside, um, I I do believe physical fitness helps in in really all aspects of your life. Um, I am I I work I try to work out every day. I try to do something. Uh, to get my heart rate up every day, even if that's just chasing my kids around the backyard. Um, does it help with hunting? I, I think it does. And I'll, I'll tell you why. The, the, one re, the one year I went out and I, got, I went crazy on the physical fitness train, right? I, I worked out. I did cardio. Um, I even bought one of those uh, elevation masks. And I remember this. Yeah, yes. Yep. And it didn't help with the actual thin air, but what it did help with was recovery. So after I walk up this hill and I'm gassing, it did it. It didn't take long for me to catch my breath again, right? Um, okay. So that that device I felt actually helped. Now I was I my endurance was up, 
my um, like I felt like I was strong. Um, all parts of my body were working like they would. Um, I I failed in the gym, so I was mentally strong when I got out to uh, let's say like the time I went out to Brask and I did a spot and stock hunt the entire like for five days. I did a lot of legs. I did a lot of backpack training, um, and I did a lot of core training. And I I feel that that helped me out a ton. Now, when I got to uh, Idaho on my on flat ground, I was probably in some of the best shape of my life um, before I went on that Idaho trip. I walked up the first hill, down the second, and about ten yards up the next little mountain face or whatever. Uh, it that that elevation hit me like a sack of bricks and i i was almost mentally defeated at that point for the rest of the trip because it was such a shock to my system now if i wasn't like in decent shape for that i probably would have had to call that trip quits because um you know because of that now for for a tree stand hunter i think endurance like strong muscles will help you stand up for longer periods of time, sit down without back problems for longer periods of time. Um, working out also is, I feel is great for your state of mind. So those long days when you're just like, Oh God, this sucks. I've been in the tree stand for however many hours and I haven't seen a deer, you, you know, that I don't, that working out helps with that. And most importantly, I've, and I found this out um, in the last couple of years is eating healthy during the rut because previous years, man, I would just, hey, let's go to the gas station and put as many calories worth of sugar in my backpack as possible. And so I've recently stopped that and I put like apples and carrots and bananas in my backpack and I feel better when I'm in the uh, tree stand. I don't fall asleep as much. I... Um, I can hunt longer, and then I when I get out of the stand is when I go home and eat just like a gigantic meal. Sure. So that's yeah. that's kind of my take at it. And like I just feel that being in good shape equals and, and doing some kind of physical activity equals living a healthier life. But I talked to a guy um, who has he lives in Illinois or Indiana. And he goes out and hunts high country mule deer every year. And he told me it's not the cardio that gets me in shape. It's not the time in the gym that gets me in shape. It's me walking around as much as I possibly can with a very heavy pack on my back. And he feels that that right there is a is better for him than having to go through some like really intense training regimen. Sure. That makes sense. And I think I would agree with just about everything that that you said, just as far as, you know, physical fitness makes you just feel better in life in general. So, I mean, it's just a good thing. You know, the question is, you know, do you have to be a, you know, marathon running, you know, hill climbing crazy psycho? No, absolutely not. You know, but the better shape that you're in, you're right. The better you feel, the more mobile you are. I think like for me, you know, where it really helps make a difference is, you know, I'm, I'm a lot like you. I think I do a lot of, you know, kind of run and gun setups during the year. You want to check out a new, a new spot. You got something that's not working. Maybe you got to tear a stand down and move it. And sometimes the thought of doing that, 
you know, and you're just like, oh, gosh, the amount of effort and energy it's going to take to do that, especially if you're out of shape, you know, might play a role in you just saying, oh, screw it, I'm just going to hunt this stand. I don't feel like moving it. I don't feel like walk, you know, or maybe you got two different stands, one that's a, a 200 yard walk and one that's a 600 yard walk. And you're like, ah, I'm just going to go to the closer one. I don't feel like walking all the way over there. Right. So right. it definitely can help open up opportunities for you, you know, to go explore new areas, do new things that you wouldn't normally do if you weren't in, you know, better shape. So I know, I think it's kind of, uh, encouraging to see, you know, this kind of trend. And I guess it's not just necessarily in the, in the hunting industry, I guess, you know, it's kind of happening everywhere. You know, I feel like the more time goes on, the more health conscious our whole society is, and we probably need it to be right. I mean, given the trend that we've been on, you know, as the fattest nation in the world, uh, you know, it just seems like, you know, eating healthy, eating organic, not that I necessarily care about eating organic me personally, but, you know, just eating and being healthier, um, I think is, is just generally a good thing. And I, and I think there was a lot of people that, you know, for a long time just felt like, well, I only really need to be in, in good shape to go hunting if I'm going out West and I'm hiking up mountains. Um, when in reality, I mean, just, you know, even if you're a flat land Midwest whitetail hunter, you know, being in good shape definitely comes in handy, especially uh, if you happen to shoot something and you have to drag it out of the woods, right. then you're going to be very, very glad that you're in better shape. Right. Because that is no easy task. Right. And you look at it this way. You got the guys out there that, you know, they, people look up to them that, you know, they may be motivating, you know, depending on what kind of physical activity they're doing. It's like, they're doing it all the time. That's what everything is, is like their, their brand, I guess you could say, uh, physical fitness surrounds that pretty heavily. And then, sure. you know, those guys, you know, to pat them on the back a little bit, they want to, tra they're training because they want to take the, Hey, if I bust my ass up this hill and get to the top, I can get a shot at this deer or this elk that is, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to try to beat him there because that's where he's heading. And if I can get up there now, you know, if you don't train like that, you probably won't be able to perform like that in the, you know, in the mountains and, you know, it's sure it's a matter of how bad do you want it? You know, so, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to train like that just because I don't live in that environment, but, uh, I'm going to do the best that I can with the time that I have. And, um, yeah. So you're doing, you're going out for an elk hunt this year, right? Yep. And we're, we will be, and where are you, where are you going to, uh, Colorado. Okay, you know where about? Yeah, uh, it's going to be like the south. So if you took, you know, Colorado's pretty much a square, right? Sure, if you if sure. you make it into four equal quadrants, I'll be in the southwest quadrant. Okay. Yep, so uh, we're going to be starting off at 10,000 feet. So, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get crazy. Yeah, but it'll be fun. It's yeah. an adventure. Yep, absolutely. It's definitely a, a change of pace and a change of scenery. You know, the other thing, too, that I would say about kind of what you were saying, some of these guys that you see that kind of build their brand, right, and their identity around the fitness, like generally they're pretty successful hunters. <clears throat> and I don't know that it necessarily has anything to do with their physical fitness 
but I think it's a mindset. Yes. Right. Like in order for you to be that physically fit, like you're really dedicated to it. Right. You are, you are very persistent in what you do. And I think, you know, that carries through into hunting, you know, being dedicated to, to being a hunter just in general and pushing where others may give up, you know, is in a lot of times the difference between success and failure. And that's, you know, another one of those things that you just get from, from being physically fit and physically active. So I will, I'll also say this, um, this last weekend. Yeah, it was just this last weekend. My, my buddy, Matt Miller and I, who's one of our, our staff guys at bowhunting.com, uh, we decided to do a Spartan race. I saw that here in Illinois. First time in our lives. Matt and I are still definitely fatter than we should be. (laughs) (laughs) I I probably got, I could stand to probably lose another 15 pounds. I'm down about 30 pounds from where I was a year ago. Uh, probably another 15 to go, but you know, six months ago, Matt was like, Hey, do you want to do a Spartan race? There's one coming in, in June. And I was like, yeah, sure. I've never done any, any type of you know, tough mutter, warrior dash, any of this stuff. And I don't run. I'm a terrible runner. Uh, but I was like, yeah, dude, let's, let's do it. You know, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be something to do. You know, my sister and a bunch of people that I know have done them and everybody tells you that they're kind of like, they're kind of easy, right? Like they're, they're not that difficult. Well, we sign up for this one and a couple weeks before the race, I finally start looking into like, I wonder what it is we're going to have to do. And I start looking into it and I'm like, holy shit, this is like pretty serious. And I call Matt I was like, hey, you realize we have like 19 or 20 obstacles we have to go through. And for every obstacle that you fail on, you have to do 30 burpees before you can go to the next obstacle. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I knew that. He's like, this is like uh, like of all the races that are out there, like this is the hardest one to do. And I'm like, oh, well, that's fantastic. I'm glad that we signed up for this thing. So we did it. We did it this last weekend on Sunday morning. And, uh, dude, it was, it was hell at the time while you were doing it. But when you get done, it was a pretty awesome feeling of accomplishment. Matt and I did way, way better than we thought we were going to do. I I thought I was either going to a die or B finish in very last place, (laughs) but, uh, we managed to finish actually ahead of like the 50% mark in the pack of about 3,500 people. I think did it weird at about the 1500 mark. So yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. I think we're going to do some more of them and we're kind of motivated. Uh, I'm motivated to run more because today's the first day I've been able to walk straight in about three or four days. My legs have been so sore and, uh, get better at upper body exercises. Cause that's where we failed all of our, our obstacles was on monkey bars and swinging obstacles. Yeah. So that's my, my goal for next year. But if anybody is out there, and they want to go do one of these races. They're freaking awesome. We had a blast. There was plenty of people there that looked like they belonged on American Ninja Warrior. And then there was plenty of people there that like looked like me and Matt. So don't be self-conscious. Just go, man. It was, it was a blast. That's awesome. I don't, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to, uh, the, what we talked about earlier today, but I I have a question for you. I want to kind of switch it this way when it comes to, and, Let's just take hunting first and then maybe in life as general. What motivates you? Oh, man. You know, it's a funny question because I ask uh, people when I interview them for a job at our at our IT company or yeah. for a web development. That's always one of my questions. What motivates you? 
Um, <clears throat> for me, it's probably a couple different things. I think first and foremost, you know, my family, you know, as I've, I've gotten older and had kids, you know, wanting to, you know, provide for my family, um, is definitely a big motivator for what I do. You know, um, I'm also the kind of person that like just a quest for knowledge in general is a big motivator for me. Like I want to know everything about everything. I don't know if it's just a disease that I have, but, uh, I'm always motivated by just knowledge. I'm always reading. I'm always watching stuff. I just, I want to know everything. It's, it's a weird, weird thing that I have. Um, and personal improvement, you know, kind of goes along with that. Those are probably my three biggest motivators, um, out there. What about you? Well, before we get to me, does anybody like, is there someone that you watch on YouTube or Instagram and every time they talk or you see one of their videos, you just get inspired and you want to go out and do something like does, is there an individual out there like that who motivates you? Not really. No. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think, I mean, at times, sure. I yeah. think I've seen bits and pieces of what people do and, and feel maybe inspired to, to do something better. But I can't say there's like one person that I'm watching on a regular basis that I look to for inspiration yeah. or that has inspired me to go do something. I'm probably more inspired by friends and family members than I am by uh, people I don't know, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. For me, man. And so when it comes to hunting, like, I don't know if I necessarily get motivated. I, I don't know if, if motivation is the right word for what I, what I, when it comes to hunting. It's just like it's, I'm on autopilot at this point, right? I mean, I know that I have to go out and uh, set my trail cameras up. I know that I have to, you know, if I want to get closer to this buck bed or uh, this bedding area, I have to tear down and go set up i don't know if i is is that the right way to say it i mean yeah well i feel the same way i mean i what i don't know that i'm as mode and i guess i'm confused about by by this and i'll say it this way when you look at the hunting industry now and, and, you, and you look at social media and videos and everything that's going on we all want to kind of like measure ourselves against one another right right Back to that guy's comment of it being being a, a penis measuring contest to a certain degree. Like we all are looking to measure ourselves against one another and like, well, this guy's doing this. so I have to do this or I have to do more of this or better of this. You know, and I feel like there's some people that use that as motivation. And when I look at it, like sometimes I feel like I'm not motivated enough. And I'm like, gosh, is everybody else in the world like working more and harder than I am? Yeah. You know, and then it, and then part of me starts to think like is some of it unnecessary motivation? Like, are we making more work for ourselves than we really need to be making? Like I, I enjoy doing a lot of the things that I do for hunting and I wouldn't do them if I didn't enjoy it. But let's face it. A lot of them aren't a hundred percent necessary to achieve my goal right. of, of killing a nice buck every year. Right? Right. right. Like if I went to my hunting property and planted no food plots this year, I could probably still kill a good deer or have an opportunity. Does it enhance my ability to do that? Sure. But if I did, if I finally planted one instead of four, right. I mean, like, where do we draw the line with 
like the insanity of what we do for deer hunting. Yeah. You know, and for me, as I've gotten older and had kids, I try had just have to reel that back a little bit. Like I can't do everything. It's just impossible. Yeah. So then there's times when, again, I'm judging myself against what other people are doing. And yeah, you're scrolling through Instagram, you're scrolling through Facebook and you're seeing guys doing this guys doing that. Like, uh, another one, is mock scrapes right mock scrapes kind of came into popularity let's say within the last decade and as they get more and more popular i feel like it's this weird race for people to like when they're going to put out their mock scrapes like it's july dude i'm going to put my mock scrapes out and i'm like what in the hell has gotten into everybody like i don't put mine out till september usually and they do just fine i think i don't i don't don't know man (laughs) Yeah, or you just don't do them. Yeah. I mean, you don't. A lot of the stuff that's going on, it's like we don't have to do it. We're making more work, and some people confuse, you know, the amount of work they put in as directly, you know, equaling the amount of success that they're going to have. When unfortunately, yeah. I think there's a point of diminishing returns. Like, do you have to put in work? Sure, scouting being smart, putting trail cameras out, knowing what deer are there, knowing what areas they're using, putting stands up, trimming them properly. Like that's all work you should be doing. But there comes a point where like you just keep doing more and more and more of this work. And I don't personally feel like it, the, the return on that is, is very high. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's, this is, this is where it gets weird. And if I sound like a prick, I'm sorry. But when I hunt and during the hunting season and and my hunting routine, I have blinders on, right? So it's me in my world, right? I'm not trying to live in somebody else's world. I'm not trying to um, do something that somebody else is doing. Uh, I may read read or listen or absorb some of the content that's being put out and maybe try to apply that into some, some of those principles into my hunting strategy, but at the end of the day, it's me in my world. And for some reason, I just can't get, if some guy's out there giving tips and tricks and tactics, or you read these articles, like five ways to do this, or 10 ways to do this, or, you know, I just feel like that's, it's, you know, like, I don't know. It just, it frustrates me because I think a lot of people take that information too seriously and they they go out into the woods and they say well man this is you know i tried this and it's not working for me well you have to be able to translate that from what you've read to your own world right so i don't know i just so that's i'll give you i'll give you a great example of that and and it's what we just talked about it's mock scrapes right right uh, we did an article a couple of years ago, and, and it was one of the five reasons type of th- articles, but it was yeah. five reasons why your mock scrapes aren't working, right? And, and, you know, we ran down the list of like all the things that people are doing wrong in thinking that mock scrapes are maybe going to be the answer to to their problems um, or going to, you know, automatically help them kill a, an animal. And every tactic or tip that people give you and talk about has to be applied in the right way at the right time right. in order for it to be successful. It's right. just like, I think of mock scrapes. Like you think of rattling every time you rattle at a buck, he doesn't just come running in so you can shoot him. Like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It depends on 
the time of year. It depends on the state of mind of that animal at the time, maybe the wind direction. There's all these different things that go into whether or not rattling at an animal is going to work or not. Um, and the, the same can be said for mock scrapes. A lot of people think that they're just going to go to the edge of a woods and put up a mock scrape and all of a sudden every deer in the county is going to come hit it. And that, that doesn't work that way. You know, so I've always kind of preached, you know, the practical application of the information that you learn. Yeah. Right. And that's right. what that's what separates really good hunters from not so good hunters. Yeah. You know, and that's what and, and so much of that just comes with time. It can't be taught. You know, right. you can tell young hunters things till you're blue in the face, but they don't always learn it until they've actually been in the woods and done it. You know, it's the case of the uh, I remember a buddy of mine who was pretty early in his hunting career a few years ago had a, a pretty decent buck feeding in a cornfield, probably like 40 yards away in a cut cornfield. And he's in a fence row watching this deer feed and it's starting to get dark and he's getting nervous. You know, he wants the deer to come closer. So he picks up his grunt tube and he starts grunting at this deer that's 40 yards away from him. And the deer picks its head up and looks and there's not another deer anywhere around. Yeah. It can clearly see the entire field in the, in the fence row that he's in. And, and he, he did more to spook that deer than he did to get the deer to come over, but he just didn't, just didn't realize. Right. And it's the same with, with guys maybe that grunt at a deer when that deer is downwind or very close to being downwind and all the deer does is circle around him and, and boogie out of there. Like right. there's, there's times when you just have to know when to, when to shut up and when to talk. Right. Um, and that's just something that, that comes with time. Yeah. I don't think it can necessarily always be taught. Right. Right. So kind of going back to motivation then. So like I'm motivated, the thing that motivates me the most, and this is in all aspects of my life is failure, M my failure. So whether it's, Hey, I got, I'm going to move in on this deer and got busted man, I'm, I get extra motivated upon that failure to go and try it again and try to relocate him or try to go to a different bedding area and try the same thing with a new little tweak to that, to that strategy. And the same thing goes with like being a husband and a, and a father. So like, you know, there's days where I'm just really tired and I'll come home from work or I'll be up late the night before, you know, working on the sportsman's nation. And then all of a sudden, uh, my kid does something and all they want to do is hang out with me and I, I, I become short with them and maybe yell at them or hey, get away. Daddy's busy or something like that. And then I, I instantly regret it. I feel, I feel bad. So that right there motivates me that the next time something like that happens, I have to have a little bit more patience. I have to put down what I'm doing, go spend some time with the family and, um, and then that other stuff can ultimately wait. Sure. So, yeah, I don't know. yeah, no, I totally. I think what, for me, my hunting motivation. What I guess what little I have because I'm like you. I feel like I'm on autopilot. I just I do it because it's part of my nature. But right. my motivation for for hunting really is just personal improvement. I want to get better at what I do. Um, I want to I want to keep upping the bar in terms of challenge. And I think that's where a lot of guys are. You know, it, you start off young and. It's this phases that you go through of, you know, shooting. There's kind of the, the adage of like you shoot just any deer and then it's any buck and then it's a buck of a certain size and then maybe a very specific buck or whatever the case may be. And you kind of just work your way up the ladder. Uh, it's no different than working out. You go to the gym this week and you work out and next week you want to run a little bit faster, a little bit farther. You want to lift a, a little bit heavier weight, whatever it is. Like 
I just feel like that's the natural progression in life. So that's kind of my motivation right now is just to get better, right. uh, you know, at hunting just in general. There's always something to learn. There's always something to adapt to, you know, changing conditions, changing locations, crop rotation, whatever the case may be, limited amount of time because your wife's having a kid and end of October, <laughs> you know, there's all these, all these things that you got to kind of work around. So right. that, that's my motivation. And then I guess like the, the last thing for me is I want to be able to like give back, right? I, for some reason I have this in me and it, I think a lot of it came through my, through my dad um, who kind of instilled in me like you take what you need and then you, you kind of leave the rest, right? Um, and I, what really motivated me was a couple of years ago. I, I did this rant on Facebook Live about the ATA show. And I think me and you maybe even talked about it a little bit, about how the industry is so focused on money and product. And obviously when you go to a, a, a trade show, that's, that's going to be the focus of it. But I just felt like the, the conservation aspect of it was not there when ultimately bow hunting is a, is revolves around killing an animal, right? A, a resource that if not taken care of properly will 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 disappear, right? If we don't if we don't you know nurture it, it will it, it's not going to grow. It's going to disappear. So sure. my my ultimate goal, like short term, is I want to like I'm in the process of getting certified the Sportsman's Nation to be certified for 2% for conservation. I want to which wanna, is a which is an intense process you got to go through for that. Yeah, man, I got I'm filling out the process uh filling all the paperwork for me is done. Now I'm in I have to finish up my my hours which my are my um donating my time to yep. uh conservation. So, um I have to I have to finish that up. I have an idea of what I'm going to do there. But then like on top of that is just be a sounding board for any and all conservation organizations, whether that's the National Deer Alliance, Quality Deer Management Association, hell, Pheasants Forever or the Rocky sure. Mountain Elk Foundation, whatever I can do to help support that that organization cuz you know it's all it's all for the good. It's all for the sure. better. So sure. I don't know that right there motivates me to, to, to do a better job in business as well. So I can someday, you know, maybe, I don't know, this may sound crazy, but I'd love to write a check for $10,000 and give it to some organization. I mean, that would be awesome. I, I don't think there's enough people out there who are in specific roles who they're, they're not preaching that enough. And this is my opinion. And it's, it, it's, it's an important thing. I mean, it should yeah. be, it should be in every time you talk about deer, it's almost like the next sentence should be something about conservation. I don't know. Sure. Makes sense. So, what happened? Well, I blacked that's... out. <laughs> where am I? Yeah. What are we talking about? All right. I have one last thing we have to talk about and then we can wrap it up. Okay. This has been bothering me for a while. This will be a Dan, my Dan Johnson rant for the night. <clears throat> and maybe you'll agree or not agree with me. What is the maximum distance you are comfortable shooting at a whitetail deer with archery equipment? Okay. Short answer. Short answer. 
I don't have any shooting lanes where I hunt because I, I don't hunt field edges. I hunt really thick, nasty stuff. Um, so I don't have any, um, any shooting lanes really past 30 yards. Last year I shot my deer at the longest distance I've ever shot a deer. And that was like at 33 yards, I think. Fair enough. So would you say 35 is your max yardage? Well, in my, 40, sc- in my 15? scenario, in my scenario, yes. But when I go, like I'll be practicing for longer distances when I go out for, um, when I go out to Colorado, right? I might have to take a 50 yard shot, eh, 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 but you're not deep. You're not hunting white tailed deer, right? You're hunting absolutely. elk. Right. White-tailed deer, archery. That's the only thing I want to talk about. Okay, white-tailed deer, archery. In the scenarios that I hunt, it's going to be between 30 and 35 yards. That's that's all I really give myself. Fair enough. Okay. My my self-imposed limit is 40 yards. Okay. I do hunt some field edges and some food plots. I'll be completely honest with you. I took a 43-yard shot at a deer last year that I did not kill, and I chastised myself greatly for breaking my own rule of saying I, I, I'm only going to shoot that far. Um, I just don't understand the fatuation w- with modern bow hunters shooting whitetails at excessively long distances. I thought growing up that the whole reason we bow hunted was to get close to our animals that we were shooting. That was the whole thrill of the chase was seeing how close and that you had to be Within for a long time, it was 20 yards. I mean, that was the distance you had to be in. And that was an accomplishment in and of itself. And nowadays, it seems like every time I turn around, it's 50, it's 60, it's 80 yards, it's 90 yards. And I'm over here just thinking to myself, what in the hell is everybody doing? Is everybody gone insane? Has the bow hunting world just lost their minds? Right, right. So... When you started bow hunting, how old were you? Uh, twelve, I believe. Okay, so and me and you were the same age, right? So yeah, you were. I'll be third. I'll be thirty-eight here shortly. Yeah, yeah, couple months. Yep, same here. So back when we were twelve, man, uh, that technology for compound archery has come a long, long ways, right? I agree. So based off of technology i think what that's done is that it has allowed people to shoot further distances at a more accurate level but that doesn't mean that you should <laughs> insert some 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 in all situations yeah. not some and all i don't care what anybody says i will disagree till probably the day that i die and here is my reasoning okay. you're absolutely right technology has come infinite lengths leaps and bounds from when we started bow hunting bows are faster they're more accurate they're quieter we're living truly in the golden age of archery right but that doesn't you know what hasn't changed in the last 25 years the reaction time and speed of a white-tailed deer that hasn't changed and when you're shooting a deer at 50 60 70 yards there that arrow is in the air for so long that there is zero way for you or anybody to predict if that animal is still going to be in that spot when that arrow gets there. That's my problem with shooting long distances. Number one, I just think it's lame because we bow hunt to get close to our quarry. 
Yeah. Now, I could see when it's an elk or a mule deer or something that's far and it's open and you can't get any closer. And those animals also, their reaction time is not what a white-tailed deer is. A, a mule deer doesn't even move when you shoot at it. You can shoot <laughs> at one of those things at 80 or 90 yards. Well, th- they live in a different terrain, a different right. environment. They're able to see predators coming generally from a longer distance. So their reaction time is not like a white-tailed deer. I mean, you've never seen anything like a white-tailed when it's dropping at the sound of an arrow coming in. You know, I told you I shot that deer at 43 yards last year. I can, and I film all my hunts. I could see my arrow headed to that deer. My arrow is about halfway to that deer before it even begins to flinch a muscle. So it's already traveled 20 yards, let's say, in the air before that deer begins to react. And in the, in the span of how long it takes that arrow to travel another 20 yards that deer drops and turns, and my arrow impacts probably 10 to 12 inches away from where it would have hit if the animal just stayed still, right? So when you're shooting, it is essentially what is amounting to a moving target, right? Because you don't know if it's going to move, how much it's going to move, what direction it's going to move in. There's, you can't predict. Yeah, you can try to, quote unquote, hold low or hold here or hold there, but you, you don't know. It's a guessing game. So I just feel like it's totally irresponsible when guys are taking these super long shots. And I just see it time and time and time and time again. And everybody seems to just justify it as, well, I killed him. Well, he's dead, isn't he? You know, well, I got him. It's like, yeah, well, how many did you not get uh, that we didn't see because you didn't show us the footage or didn't own up to the fact that you you took a 60-yard poke at an animal and didn't didn't find it? I just – I don't know. I just – to me – you're so much of a better bow hunter if you can get closer to the animal. That's what bow hunting is all about. Yeah. How close can you get and be undetected and still kill that animal? Shooting at shooting a deer in a food plot or in a field at 80 yards, 60 yards with archery equipment does nothing for me. I, I don't even care. Yeah. People do it, and I'm just like, I, I could care less. You may as well just shot it with a shotgun at that point. <laughs> I, I don't even care. I've had guys on my own team that have that have taken horrible long shots at, at animals that we haven't used in our show, you know, because I didn't feel like it was an ethical decision that they made. It seems like those long shots never go right, you know, whether they recover the animal or not. Then <laughs> it usually seems to be, oh, we're going to let them lay overnight and we'll find them tomorrow. So, right, that's my rant. Stop taking long shots at deer. Work so, harder, be smarter, be a better hunter, get them closer. Okay. Or just don't shoot them. Follow-up question. And if you shoot a deer and you hit it, you know you hit it, you follow blood but never find it, do you – are you on the go? let's go keep hunting side or are you on the, hey, man, you wounded that deer. It's more than likely going to die. You're done hunting. Uh, I'm on the just keep hunting side. Okay. okay. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am of the mindset that the deer's most likely dead. I'm one of those people that's like, I prefer to just say the deer's dead until I know that it's alive. Where I think every, not everybody, but a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, didn't, didn't find him. He uh, only bled for 200 yards. He's, he's, he's fine. He's still yeah. alive. Yeah. Just a flesh wound. I'm kind of the other way around. I'm like Debbie Downer. I'm like, I know he's dead somewhere. And until I confirm that he's alive through photos, sightings, shed antlers, whatever, I'm just going to assume that he's dead. Um, but that's just me. But yeah, I mean, maybe if you wound two in a year, I could see tearing, tearing a tag up, 
something like that. Just call it know, good but, and go back to practicing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, one, I mean, dude, things things happen. You know, it, it is what it is. It's just, it's all part of bow hunting, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it, it It's just the reality of what we do. Well, Justin's are. Like I have having... one last. I have one last thing for okay, you. Okay, go, go. I hate when people take pictures next to mounted deer on their wall and post them on Facebook. So anybody that's listening, <laughs> if it's ever done that, just don't do it anymore. <laughs> I had the same exact thought today, where I wanted to do. You know how in the in the nineties and probably in the 80s they had these things called glamour shots oh yeah where it was just some chick with like a jean jacket and she had her collar popped and she had this big hair lipstick makeup and the whole asp the, the whole premise was to give that to their man and that's like sure you know hey man hey check out my check out my babe of a girl check out her she, check out my girl yeah check out my you girl keep the photo in your wallet yep hey check see them see that jean jacket i bought that for her that's real denim as opposed to imitation. Yeah, denim. I was going to say, is there fake <laughs> denim? <laughs> but anyway, like, I want to do a spoof on that where, where it's like this guy and he's got this entire barn, right? And you've seen those pictures where these guys, they hang like 45 mounts on a barn and then they're yes. standing there with their one foot up against the barn and they got this, like... They this, got their bow. They got their bow and they, they got a... They have the high school football face on them where, you know, in high school football pictures, you didn't smile. You just looked mean and tough. You know what I mean? So they have that look on their face and they, um, but I was thinking about doing one similar to that, but only putting like two mounts on there just really <laughs> far apart so no one can really even see it i was gonna say if i was gonna do that photo i'd have to borrow a bunch of mounts from all my friends <laughs> to like accumulate enough to make it look impressive or or you know like a, a really close-up shot of your face like just kind of turned over your shoulder in a real uncomfortable like i don't know i can see that i can see that for sure yeah Definitely. Uh, but I just, I, I understand like the trophy photo, you shoot the deer, it's out in the woods, you got your picture with it. You want to make yeah. it look nice. It's yeah. a memory. You share that. I'm all for that. But when you get the animal home from the taxidermist, if it's a really good mount, I could see a picture of maybe, Hey, got my new mount on the wall and it looks good. But when there's like 10 pictures of you standing next to the mount yeah. at all different angles, you know, it's like, that's just a little too much. For it me. gets weird. I just, and just, like, just don't do that. Start people. French kissing it and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just everybody stop taking pictures with your mounts. What about the guys? You ever seen the guys that go out and like put them out like in the weeds and yeah. they kneel down next to it, like with their bow and their camo jacket on, like they just killed this foam deer yeah. and here it is. That's yeah. even stranger to me. Yeah. Uh, while we're making fun of people, um, what about the guy who goes to goes out in public in all camo? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of those guys out there. Yeah. We're going to offend a lot of people with that one. But, yeah, I never understood that one. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's if that's just what they want to wear, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm a self-admitted douchebag, right? Every once in a while, I'll catch myself doing really douchebaggy things, and then I have to, like, put myself in a timeout. And be like, like, look myself in the mirror and go, dude, you were a douche today. Stop being a yeah. douche. Don't do douchebag things. Is, is this one of those times? Is that what you're saying? It could be. 
Maybe. It might be. It depends on how much hate mail we get from the, the right. full camo wearers of the world. I'll tell you what we will do is this podcast will probably not be as popular now as the other one. However, we saved this for the end of the podcast. So it's like, hey, That's dude, I already, got the, I already got the downloads. <laughs> That's all we care about. Right. We're sellouts, dude. We just care about the numbers. Dude, sellout. That would be – if you, were, you and me were to do a podcast, we should call it the sellouts. Hunting sellouts and just go for the biggest possible sponsorships we could, like the Acorn Cruncher. They don't make it anymore. Oh shit! Well, there goes my uh, idea. I tried to get my hands on one when we did our desperate bow hunters video a couple <laughs> uh, months ago. I feverishly looked for an Acorn Cruncher to use in the video. Couldn't find one anywhere. Very disappointed. Well, should we do another one of these, or should we? Should we like? Uh... I think we time? should do one more. Good things come in threes, okay. and then we'll take a break. We'll let everybody yearn, and yeah. then we'll come back with a vengeance before hunting season. All right. Well, Justin Zarr, until next time then. It's been a pleasure. All right. There you have it. Thank you, Mr. Justin Zarr, for hopping on another podcast and uh, BSing with us. If we offended anybody who wears all camouflage, I really apologize uh, for that. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't mean to ruffle any feathers, but uh, anyway. (laughs) I'm not going to edit that out. Anyway, huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave a review, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, huge shout out to Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and now Hunter Safety Systems. Uh, Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. Also, huge shout out to my wife for (laughs) allowing me to spend a lot of time back in this little closet that I have turned into my recording studio. Uh, Huge shout out to her. She deserves a uh, a lot of appreciation. So there's that. Uh, what else? If you haven't already, go to iTunes and leave a review. I just said that. I'm crazy. Uh, it's Friday, right? Uh, what else? Social media. Not only for the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles, but for all of the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Please like, share, Instagram and Facebook uh, and then I think a lot some of these people have Twitter as well go take a look out out there if you're a, a Twitter person if not Instagram and Facebook a lot of content coming through the social media uh, platforms as well and man I don't know this summer is here and that like I'm literally inside 60 days to my elk hunt uh, I have to change my diet I got to get less fat I got to get in a little better shape. I got to get uh, some stronger legs. And so that's what I plan on doing uh, for the rest of the summer for the next uh, like 57 days, 55 days or something like that. And then I got to hang some tree stands too. And uh, just a reminder. And as I close this out, I say this every single podcast, but if you're going to be in a tree doing something deer hunting related, maybe even not deer hunting related, if you're going to be in a tree, Our friends at Hunter's Safety Systems say, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.